I just appreciate a guy that takes time to thank God for coffee. <laughs> so, let me just kind of tell you where we are. And, and uh, so this year, we are doing a series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're not going straight through the book of Matthew. We're doing a series on the five sermons in Matthew. There's one sermon that's called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm calling it Life in the Kingdom. Then there's a, a second sermon that is Ministry in the Kingdom in Matthew 10, chapter 10. Then there's a sermon he gives on Growth in the Kingdom, uh, which is in Matthew 13. And then there's a sermon that he gives on the community of the kingdom, which is about the church, and that's Matthew 16 to 18. And then finally, there is a sermon on the future of the kingdom in Matthew 24 and 25. And so we're going to be going through each one of those five sermons. Um, next week is Easter, so we're, 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 we're going to leave the series and we're just going to talk about the resurrection. I think that's a good idea. Um, but if you're, if you're following along with the blessed R's, you're, you're, it's going to stick out to you that I'm skipping blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Trust me, we will cover that one, but we're going to do that when we're doing the community of the kingdom, when we get to Matthew 16 through 18 and it's, and we, we will cover it there. But today... Um, if you wouldn't mind joining me in honor of God's word standing, we're going we're gonna to read the scripture and get into today's message. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, in Jesus' name, would you shed light on what this means? Would you open our hearts, open our minds? to encounter you, to see you as you are. Please, God, do something wonderful for each person here, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. This is uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. It may seem like seeing God or encountering God is something impractical for our everyday life. I will assure you that the most practical thing is when we get a greater glimpse of God. I want to tell you about a recent trip we had to Seattle. Um, while we were flying in, my wife took a picture of Mount Rainier on the way in, and I, I think we might have that image. 
So that, that's from the airplane, Mount Rainier, in its awesome beauty. And you can't always see it from the sky, but when the clouds are parted, you can see it. And so we get there, we get in, and, and it's right next to the city of Seattle. But here's the funny thing. We were, we were there for five days, never saw Mount Rainier. It, it, it's infrequent to see it because of the weather there is so cloudy. And, um, but it brought me back to the first time I had been to Seattle. It, there was a national convention out there. And we get out there and we're in the city and um, people are saying, they're talking about Mount Rainier. They're planning trips to Mount Rainier and how awesome it is and how beautiful it is. And, but I didn't see it. I, I, and, and it's, even though it's, supposedly right there, I, I haven't seen it. And so uh, one day I walk out and it's a clear day and I look over at the city and I see this. It was stunning. How could it be there and me not know it? How could it be right there and me living in unbelief even as, you know, other people are talking about it, so it probably is there, but I haven't seen it myself. When when I look up and there it is, it just changed everything. Walking around, you just walk around, you look to the mountain. You just, you just can't, you can't get enough of the beauty and the majesty of that mountain. People are living their lives as if there is no mountain. <laughs> we live our lives often in the clouds. We, we've got whole movements of people that ex- are, are saying today that God doesn't exist, that God isn't there. And if he is, he's not close by. You know how long it takes to go from being an atheist to a believer? One clear day. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my. It's like Jacob. Jacob said, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. There are two views of God that are very important to us. One is the biblical view, where we see it's the airplane view. You see the whole beauty of it. You see the whole majesty of it. You see the transcendence of who God is. And there's another view of God that we need. And that's the one from the city where it's God really close to us, where we see him and encounter him in real life and live our lives in view of the awe of who he is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So point one is the pure in heart. Well, Pastor Tom, if you got to be pure in heart, I'm out. 
if that's what it's going to take, I don't think I'm going to be seeing much of God because God knows me and I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man and I've got issues. And, and if that's what it's going to take, well, it turns out, pure here, it means cleansed or clear of heart. The idea of clear is unalloyed to something else. It, another way to translate it would be the single in heart. Those who, this is the one pursuit. Those who are aiming for this, those who have, have made their life about this one thing, this single thing, they are the ones who see God, the, the casual observer, the casual uh, pilgrim is not going to see much. But God says, when you become single of heart, when you, if you seek for me with all of your heart, if you make this your primary goal for living, then you will find me. So today's message is entitled, Life in the Kingdom, One Thing. It's, the, it's that single of heart. David, of course, the, the famous verse that we, we sang about today, Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. This is my main motivation for living, that I might dwell in your house, that I might dwell, that I might live in the presence of God. He didn't want to just visit, he wanted to dwell there, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord, the one, the one thing, the, the single of heart. Mary, it says, uh, or, or Jesus says to Martha, only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part. It's a reference to this one thing, this, this single of heart. Blessed are the single of heart. Blessed are those who have chosen the one thing. They will see God. They will encounter God. Not just the airplane view, which is a very important view that we get from the word of God, but they will, they will start seeing God and encountering God from the city in everyday life. They will be wowed and surprised by his intimacy and by his closeness. Isaiah chose the one thing. It was Isaiah chapter 6 tells us a little of the story. It was the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been on the throne for 55 years. It is a very troubling time in Israel. It is a time of unrest. They are between kings. Who knows exactly what's going to happen next? But Isaiah's at the temple. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord for David was the tabernacle. And, and that was where God's manifest presence was. And, and in, in Isaiah's day, it was the temple. And he is at the temple. He is at the temple. He's choosing to be close, as close as he can be to God. It's because he's chosen. We know it's not because he's totally pure. Because God God shows up when he's at the temple. And he says he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And the first thing he said is, woe is me, I'm a sinful man. 
I've got unclean lips and I'm dwelling among a people of unclean lips. And the angel says, your sin has been atoned for. There's been a sacrifice in that system that foreshadowed Jesus' sacrifice is how sin was forgiven. And your sin has already been forgiven. Your guilt has already been removed. And a coal comes from the altar and he puts it on his lips so he can fully enjoy this encounter of seeing God. His whole life was changed because of that encounter. The pure in heart, the single of heart, those who have chosen the one thing, that's point one. Two is, shall see God. Because David chose the one thing, let, listen to what he says in Psalm 63. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David, David doesn't just have the theological view of God's goodness and his eternalness. eternalness. He's encountered him. He's encountered him in the sanctuary. He has beheld God's beauty. He's tasted of the feast that is at his table. He has drank from that river of delights. He has tasted of the Lord. He chose the one thing. And God honored it. And, and when you live in that place, you start seeing God everywhere. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the, heaven, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It turns out, that God is the joy that we experience in every joy, whether we recognize it or acknowledge it or not. Every gift, every gift, the coffee, the food, the bills paid, the sunset, that great meal, that wonderful friendship, every joy, every joy, that we experience on this earth. God is actually the author of that joy. And so we experience God. He's the joy within every joy. Yet, he himself is the greatest joy. I want to read uh, a little quote to you from a book I'm reading called Enjoying God by Rick Howe. Here's what he says. The enjoyment of God is not only the greatest of all joys, It is the joy in every joy. Wherever there is true joy, God is in it. Whether he is beheld in the enraptured gaze of our hearts or in the light by which other pleasures are illumined and experienced in his good gifts, joy always has to do with God, always. Whether we know it or not, our experience of joy in every instance is a connection with God. If we are held in hushed delight before a forest ablaze with autumn color. We have encountered the creator and his artistry. 
If we revel in a sumptuous meal and find ourselves savoring the experience with a thankful heart, we have tasted his goodness. If we find pleasure in people, it is an enjoyment of God mirrored in them and among those who are being redeemed, the habitation of God within them. God, when you start recognizing him, is everywhere. And our whole lives can be lived seeing him and gazing upon him and enjoying him and having this heart of gratitude for him. But it takes God to see God. It takes God to see God. What what does that mean? You You don't earn seeing God. I'm going to be single in heart, and therefore God has to show me. No, you, you, you choose to do that, and you sit in that temple, but for you to actually see God is, is a gift that he has to give. He says to Peter, Peter's left everything for him, as the other disciples did. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the... Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed. You're blessed. The father, only the father could show you that. Paul prays for the church in Ephesians 1. He's praying for people that he's already commending because they already love Jesus. They're already following Jesus. And he says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart might be opened, that you might see more of his glory, more of who you are in him, more of what his inheritance is in the saints, more of the power that is in you, that that same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'm praying that you will see more. You are limited in your Christian experience until you see more with the eyes of your heart. In Revelation 3, Jesus is pleading with the church at Laodicea to see, open up the door, let me in, choose me. I've got ISAF so that you can see me. Not just have seen me, which, which was your salvation experience, but see me now. See me in everyday things. See me in your life. We were, uh, when we were in Mexico on vacation, one of the days we went snorkeling. And uh, it, was, it was incredible. They give you this, these goggles, this little mask, and it's got the little tube that goes up, and they give you some flippers, and they're like, all right, now go for it. And it is so amazing. You put your head in the water, and it's like, Oh my, there's a whole nother world here. I don't like fish touching me. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, that's creepy to me. So it took a little getting used to it. It's amazing. You can be in a school of fish. These fish are this close to you, but they just know, they know right where you are. And, and it's like, there's a whole world down there. There's plants down there. There's villages of fish. There's fish inter- interacting with other fish. And, uh, and it, was, it was amazing snorkeling. But apparently, snorkeling is nothing compared to scuba diving. Because a couple people on our team 
got on the boat, paid the higher fare or fee or whatever it was, and they went scuba diving. And everyone that went scuba diving, when we reviewed the week, that was their favorite thing. Because what you see snorkeling is nothing compared to what you see scuba diving. And they started talking about sharks and, and jellyfish and all kinds of wonders that you're not going to see on the surface. You need to go a little deeper to see them. God's got these goggles, guys, where we can see more in the spirit realm. It's where the good stuff is. It's where the beauty of the Lord is. The good, the good stuff. When you, when you see that realm, when you taste that realm, it kind of, it kind of puts in a, a longing in you for more. Jesus, Jesus himself is the face of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Two verses earlier, it says that Jesus is the exact image of God. He is the revelation of of the invisible God. The glory of God was in the face of Christ. So we were, um, we were in Phoenix. We were staying at some friends, uh, a friend's house, and I come out of the bedroom in the morning, and the daughter uh, of this couple is at the sink cleaning, doing dishes, so I start talking to her. I'm talking to her. She, she's not turning around. She's not responding. So I ask her a question, and she still is not turning around or responding. And I'm just like, what is going on? And finally, she turns around. And here's why she wasn't responding. It wasn't the daughter. It was the mom. They look exactly alike from the back. They, had, they both had their hair in the exact same thing, little bun, exactly the same. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my, I've been talking to the mom, not the daughter. It's hard to recognize somebody from their back, isn't it? For sure. You know, in the, in the, in, when there's an, a criminal investigation and they have a line of, of suspects and they, they bring the eyewitness and the eyewitness comes and stands behind that screen where they can't see them, but they can see. And they say, which one is it? And the only way they know is because they saw their face. That's the one. A witness that just saw the back or the shadow? Mm-mm. That's not a witness. Guys, it's really important as we seek to know who God is that we look at Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of the face of God. Well, what about the Old Testament? Isn't that the Word of God? Yeah, it is the Word of God. But God is mainly concealed in the Old Testament. 
It says in John 1.17 that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the law isn't true. It just means the whole truth is concealed in the Old Testament. Do you remember when Moses asked to see God's glory? And what did God say? I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. But you're only going to see my back. Does anybody remember this? God passes by. I'm going to only let you see my back. Don't make your theology and doctrines about God from, from the Old Testament. Look in the face of Jesus. Look at who he is. That's good theology. There are shadows and types in the Old Testament. And, and we understand the New Testament better because we read the Old Testament. But don't, but don't make your theology back here. Make your theology by his face. I'm reading a book right now called The Jesus Journey by Trent Shepard. I want to read this to you. Instead of starting with what Jesus' death means for you or with an abstract theory of atonement, the writers of the gospel first want us to see, to experience, to encounter the mystery and majesty of Jesus on the cross. And to know that this, more than anything else, is what God looks like. Once that earth-shifting truth gets into us, that the clearest portrait of God we will ever see is of Jesus, the one who suffered in our place on the cross, everything else will soon follow in so many ways. We are that Oh, and then he says, in so many ways, we are that criminal beside Jesus, condemned to die as all humans are, the cancer of sin and its consequences coursing through our veins like a terminal blood disease. But then, unexpectedly and overwhelmingly, we discover another suffering beside us, another suffering our fate, another dying our death. It is undeserved, unmerited, and breathtakingly beautiful. And all we can do in the presence of such glory is whisper in amazement, King Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Point three is choosing the one thing. Choosing the one thing. I want to tell you about a dream I had in the fall of 2009. In this dream, I am... I am fighting this guy who has no face. It's a faceless man, and I am am fighting him because he has stolen the tabernacle. And... I am trying to get it back. And so I am fighting with this guy, and this is not a friendly fight. There are no rules in this fight. There's kicking, scratching, biting. I mean, it, this, is, this is for your very life. And what I remember in the dream, I am so exhausted. I, it is so in question whether I'm going to win this fight. And I, 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 I elbow him in the head really hard. Boom. And he goes down. 
But in the dream, I remember, I know he's not down for long. He will be back up. And so I need to hurry. Whatever I'm going to do, I need to hurry. And so I grabbed this suitcase that he has the tabernacle in. End of scene one. Scene two. I have got the tabernacle, which is massive, set up. It is on a pallet that is right on the side of a, of a sea, and there is a ship that is coming to pick up the tabernacle and take it away. But in scene two, there is a problem. And the problem is the ark is not in the tabernacle. And the ark, of course... That's the whole reason for the tabernacle. That's where the actual glory, the manifest glory of God dwells is over the mercy seat of the ark. And, and so this is really important. So I'm looking for the ark, but all I can think about is how tired I am and how this guy's gonna, he's gonna wake up very, very soon. And so I'm looking for the ark and it's not in his backpack and I'm looking around and then I get this idea. Maybe... Maybe it's good enough as it is. We don't need the ark. So I go down to the shore of the, the waters, and there's a phone there, and I call to the ship that's coming to get this pallet, and I ask if we can sail without the ark, and permission is granted. And here's how the dream ends. Hang up the phone, and I'm just thinking to myself, he never would have believed that we would sail without the ark. And immediately, I'm awake. And I was absolutely undone by this dream. I am, ab- I am absolutely undone. I am, what, what does this mean? What, 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 what does this mean? God, why would you ever pick up the tabernacle without the ark. Why, why would you ever do that? And, um, and, and the, Lord, the Lord started speaking to me uh, over the next days about why this is. It turns out that you can have a ministry without the manifest presence of God. You actually can live your life as a Christian without much of the manifest presence of God. And here's why. Because God's own presence is so valuable and so precious to him that he leaves it to us to choose it. He leaves it to us that we can go with it or without it, and it depends on our choice. It depends on the value and the energy that we are willing to put toward it. And he has ordained that you can sail and do your life without the ark. A few examples. Moses. God tells Moses, I'm not going to, I myself am not going to travel with you. I'm going to send an angel and you're going to go into the promised land and you're going to have the milk and honey that I promised. And it's Moses that has to say, no. 
We don't just want your joy within all other joys. We want the greatest joy, which is you yourself. I'm not going unless you go, God. What else differentiates us between us and the, other, the, other, the people of the nations except your presence? I'm not going without you. And God says, what do you, what do you want, Moses? And then Moses says these great words, if I have found favor with you, then do this one thing. Show me your glory. Hmm. David starts his kingship in, in 1 Chronicles 13 and, and he gets the elders and the, and the military people around. He gets all of Israel around and he, and he says this. He says, let's, let's get the ark back. He says, in the days of Saul, we didn't seek for it. Saul's entire ministry, for however religious he was, it never crossed his mind to have the ark back. And they just left it at a house. And David starts his ministry saying, we need to get the ark back. And then, of course, we've got Martha. Martha is, is working for Jesus. Martha loves Jesus. Jesus loves Martha. And she is working for him. And Jesus comes and says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part. You can live without the good part. You could still live, you could still serve, you could still do ministry, but you're missing the good part. The good part is Jesus. The good part is his presence. When, when you've chosen the good part, when you have allowed, when you, when you choose it in the midst of life's distractions and, and all that is going on, when you, when you say, God, thank you for this, 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 and this, but I want the good part. I want you, Jesus. I want your presence. I want your intimacy. I want your closeness. This is the one thing I'm after. I'm going to seek after this. You'll take care of everything else. I'm going to seek this one thing. Jesus says, Martha, there is a choice here. Mary has chosen the good part. Of course, Martha doesn't. He never says, Martha, you chose the bad part. No one ever chooses the bad. Here's the bad part. Serving Jesus and no longer enjoying Jesus. Working for Jesus, no longer worshiping Jesus. Being around Jesus, anxiously living your life in survival and missing the main event, which is Jesus himself. He is the highest joy. He himself is the highest joy but you have to recognize it and you have to choose it and it has to be real in your life or you simply live without it. And so here's what happened. <laughs> so, so I made our staff miserable during this time. 
I am just like, I have had this dream. I've, I have had a dream and it is from God. And I don't know what we're doing in this church. We had just organized the whole church into small groups. I'm like, we've set the tabernacle up, but we're missing the glory. We need to seek God. We need to get after God. I didn't really know what the dream meant. I just like, I wanted to yell at somebody. I wanted somebody to be as uncomfortable as I was. God bless the Mad City staff. Because of this dream, I decided that I was going to go down to Kansas City. It was the first time I went to the One Thing. One Thing is a youth conference every every uh, December, right, going into New Year's. And I, kn- I had known about it. I, I had been down to Kansas City to the House of Prayer, but I'd never been to the One Thing Conference. But this year I decided, because of this dream, I'm going down there. I- I'm going down there. I'm taking my whole family down there. We all went down there. I forced everybody to come with me. And uh, there, it turns out there were revival meetings that year, and they, every, every night went from 7 until midnight. I mean, it was a lot of, it was a lot of time. And, um, but I, I went down there. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening, but I didn't, I didn't care about anything else that was happening. I just wanted to be in God's presence. I just, I just wanted to be in God's presence. And, and so, so four nights I'm in his presence just, just being with him, being with him. January 1st, 2010. It's actually the year that City Church started in December of that year. January 1st, I wake up and I know what the dream means. <laughs> the dream, dream has nothing to do with America, has nothing to do with Mad City Church. Dream is about me. That when I had come to Madison, I was just absolutely on fire for God and for revival. And that what we needed was his presence. But there had been a lot of setbacks when I came to Madison. And um, I became very sad because of the decisions of others, because of things I couldn't change that were happening. And I just became very, very sad. And I lived in that for a long time. And, 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 and when, when you're sad over a long period of time, you get very tired. Do you know that? There's, there's mourning for a season, but you need to be careful because if you embrace mourning as your, your new lifestyle or your, your new identity, you're going to be very, very weak. How many know the joy of the Lord is our strength? And so if you dwell in sadness for a long time, you're, you're going you're gonna to be weak. You're going to get tired. You're going to get, everything is going to become hard. And the Lord showed me that I was in great danger of losing my heart (laughs) and being stuck doing ministry without his presence, which I can't think of anything worse. (laughs) I, I, I love you folks. I love you folks, but the idea of us just having a church so that we can have meetings and social gatherings and... Um, uh, and I can give speeches, and, and we pay the bills. I really have very little interest in that. I just, I just, 
I just don't. My heart is that we, we get together right in front of the mountain, which is God. That anything could happen in any meeting because God is here. That things happen in our midst. They cannot be explained by what a man did or a man said or a man uh, uh, tried to do or manipulated. That God, this, this, is, this is what I live for. And I was about to lose. Jesus said, whoever chooses the one thing, that what Mary has chosen, it will not be taken from her. That, all that means is, is that G, when you choose that, Jesus will never take it from you. It does not mean that it can't be stolen from you. It doesn't mean you can't give it away. It just means when you choose this one thing, God will protect it. God will help you. In fact, this dream itself was God helping to protect my own heart. He showed me how worn down I was. I had gotten into all kinds of insecurity and trying to have a church that, so that, to keep our church from shrinking and get people to come to our church. And so I was here, 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 and here and doing all kinds of stuff. And the Lord just said, you're, 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 you're exhausted and you're about to have a ministry that doesn't have my presence. And so what I did is I rechose the one thing. I rechose it. I came back to the staff and I said, guys, please forgive me for wandering. This is who I am. This is what I'm heading for. Ended up taking the whole team down there and just, just so that we were all on board. This, this is where we're going. Life in the kingdom, one thing. So God gets in everybody's face, every single face, and says, what, what about you? What choice are you going to make? Mary had what she had because she chose it. David had what he had because he chose it. God won't thank you so much, bro. God's not going to push himself on you. God's not going to make you choose it. He will woo you. He will invite you. What's your choice? In the midst of David's great need, in Psalm 27, 8, he's being chased by Saul. He's got enemies all around him. God speaks to David and he says, Seek my face. David says, My heart has heard you say, Seek my face. Seek for my presence. And David says, Your face, oh God, I will seek. So I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come on back up here. You might notice it's only a quarter to ten. 
It's because we're not done. We're just going to go into experience time. Could we have every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment? If you're here today and you, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you don't know that, that a sacrifice has already been made for your cleansing so that you could be washed, so that your guilt could be removed and you could be forgiven of your sins, that sacrifice has already been made. Jesus made it on the cross. You were created to experience God. You were created for this relationship where you see God, where you see him in his beauty from the airplane and you see him every day in your life. This is, it changes everything when you grab a hold of that relationship. But the first step is to recognize Jesus died for you and that you need to be forgiven of your sins. Your sins have already been atoned for, but you need to own that yourself. Jesus says it this way, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. Opening that door is as easy as saying, God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I am guilty but I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead for me. And Jesus, I believe you are knocking on my heart. It's not just a man, not just somebody that's trying to push their form of religion, but Jesus, you yourself are inviting me to this. And today, he's asking you to open the door. Don't ever mistake God knocking for you opening. God knocking is one thing, and it can be very real. That isn't the same as you saying yes, God, and opening your door. And if that's you today, you need to take that first step of opening your heart to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand right now, high enough and long enough for me to see it? I see that hand and that hand. God bless you in that hand. Thank you. God bless you. You could put those hands down. I see that hand in the back. Yep. Anybody else? I see the hand in the balcony. God bless you. I see that hand, sweetheart. Thank you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer. I got you, bro. Anybody else? Okay. Everybody that raised their hand, if you just slip your hand over your heart and pray something like this. You don't have to have the exact words. The power of this is not your prayer. It's Jesus' promise. Lord, I, I thank you for loving me even as a sinner. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am guilty before a holy God. I cannot atone for my own sin, but I believe, I believe, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead, not just for the whole world, but for me. I believe you have been trying to get my attention. You've been knocking on my door, and right now I want to open that door 
Jesus, I'm opening my door. See it. See my heart. I'm opening my door. Come in, Jesus, and save me and wash me and cleanse me and make me your own. I receive by faith that gift of eternal life. Thank you for hearing this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand together? Second call is, I'm not going to have a little short prayer for the second call. We're going we're to bring the lights down in the sanctuary and we're going to open up the altars. And let me just tell you what the second call is. Maybe you're here today and if you were absolutely honest before God, you kind of have the bad part right now. You've been distracted by many things, many of life's issues and urgencies and your own desires and your own needs. And there are just many things that try to call out and, and you only get the one thing if you choose it. Because if you don't choose it, it will be... There are plenty of things in this world to distract us. And so maybe you're here today and, and you've got the bad part. And today you want to choose the good part before God. Before God, you want to choose. Only the Holy Spirit can make it real. But you want to make that choice. He will work with your choice. Or maybe you're the person here. You've made the choice. But life has worn you out just like it had worn me out. You remember that first love. You remember when you were burning. And, but life has happened. People have made choices. Your own insecurity maybe has driven you into other realms. And, and God is just here today saying, Martha, Martha, Tom, Tom, Betty, Betty, Bob, Bob. You've been distracted by many things. One thing is necessary, and Mary chose this. You can choose this too. You can choose this, and if you will choose this, I guarantee you I will never take it from you. I will actually help you protect it. I I will guard this. This is the most valuable thing. It's not. Thank God for provision and beauty and and all relationships. But this is the greatest joy. And if you will choose the greatest joy as your primary desire and pursuit, I, I myself will help protect it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just turn the sanctuary into a place of waiting on God. I'm going to invite you to come on down to the front. If uh, it, it always helps me. Maybe it's because I'm an extrovert. I like to step out and and make a statement. But maybe you're just a kneel at the pl- at, at your pew, whatever you want to do, or just sing the songs or whatever. But we've got ten minutes before anybody even has to pick up the kids, and we're going to bring the lights way down. Let's just seek God together, could we?